again, welcome. This past week, uh, Jason reminded me of a movie, a movie I'd forgotten about. Um, interestingly, I, I had forgotten about it because when it came out six years ago and I saw the preview for it, um, I was intrigued. Uh, I, I, I anticipated I actually went to the theater to see it, which is kind of rare. Um, Everything about this movie seemed to, to check all the boxes. It stars one of my favorite actors, Robert Redford, and it's about one of my favorite subjects, a man on a boat on the sea. Uh, something about that has always fascinated me. The movie's called All is Lost, and uh, it really, uh, it, it's highly rated, highly reviewed, but it was sort of a box office um, dud. Maybe you've seen it. And it's the story of an almost super-heroic sailor who seems ready for anything uh, except what he actually gets, what he actually faces. And so Redford, he plays this, uh, this aging but very accomplished sailor who's on his boat and he awakens in the morning to find that overnight uh, his boat has uh, collided with a wayward shipping container out in the middle of the ocean and he's taking on water. And all of, the, uh, all of the boat's electrical systems uh, have been damaged. And so he tries to, to uh, climb the mast and repair them anyway, but, but uh, it's no use. Uh, all the navigational systems, the communication systems, all of it damaged beyond repair. But while he's at the top of the mast, uh, he sees an oncoming tropical storm. And so he knows that he has to, he has to really step up his game and prepare and as the storm uh, arrives, he's tossed to and fro and eventually falls overboard and nearly drowns, but he, he climbs and he claws and he makes it back aboard, and then his boat capsizes. And with this boat sinking, now it's, uh, it's certain in his mind, uh, he abandons ship and he takes refuge in an inflatable life raft. He no longer has any modern equipment, the kind of thing that would make a passage uh, somewhat easy. Um, so he learns to use a sextant and actually a paper map. And he discovers that uh, the currents are pulling him towards a shipping lane. The situation, uh, each moment that passes in the movie begins to look more and more bleak. And so he, he uses his last remaining signal flares to... Uh, to try and signal these two nearby uh, container ships, but neither ships see him. And they're too far. They're not looking in the right direction. He, he drifts for eight days. And he's out of food. He's out of water. And he writes a message, what he expects to be his last words. He puts them in a bottle and he throws it into the ocean. And on the eighth night, he's curled up in his raft. He's crying, and he's alone, and he sees this light in the distance. And so he, he takes a page from his journal, and he, uh, he lights it on fire with one of his last remaining matches. But the fire grows out of control and consumes his life raft. His life raft is destroyed, and he falls into the water, and he allows himself to sink. J.C. Kander, the writer and director of that movie, he said in an interview that his intention was to bring moviegoers to a place in which they were forced to come to grips with their own mortality. 
He said the movie is meant to force you to confront the impossibility of life and the incontrovertible fact that no matter how skilled you are and no matter how prepared you think you are, there are certain things in life that are beyond your control and they get the best of you. Uh, the character that Redford plays is unnamed. He's just our man. And his story is our story. No matter how capable we are, no matter how prepared we think we are, we are entirely incapable, we are entirely unprepared, we are entirely powerless to overcome the greatest storm of life. And I'm not talking about those trials that Bruce mentioned uh, in his prayer. I'm talking about the greatest storm of life, and that's the judgment brought about by our sin. So I don't know if, if J.C. Kander, the writer and director of All is Lost, I don't know if he had a biblical story in mind when he wrote the script, but it's eerily similar to a story we're going to look at this morning. And so if you have a Bible, I would love for you to turn to Jonah chapter 1. You're thinking, Jonah? Not the Gospels? This is the perfect resurrection text right here. Jonah chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, you can grab one from the pew racks and turn to page 774. We're not going to read all of Jonah. There's four chapters. We're going to skip around just a bit. We're going to read some selected verses from Jonah, and then we're going to uh, turn over to Matthew 12, and there we'll hear from Jesus. Let me pray for us, and then we'll read God's Word together. Heavenly Father, uh, the grass withers and the flowers fade, but your Word remains forever, because your Word is living and active and sharper than a two-edged sword. And your Word works, and that's my prayer, and it's my confidence. Not that on this Easter Sunday that I would knock it out of the park, but that I would just simply keep the gospel in play. Uh, Lord, do the work that only you can do to unstop our ears and open our eyes and soften our hearts that we might be able to see our sin and then run to our Savior. In whose name we pray. Amen. All right, Jonah chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. This is God's holy word. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. And he went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. And so he paid the fare and went on board to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break apart. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his own God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship, and had lain down, and was fast asleep. And so the captain came and said to him, what do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. Now if you'll turn your eyes over to verse 15. And so they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord God appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Now turn your eyes across the page to chapter 2, verse 10. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out 
upon the dry land. And now turn over to Matthew 12, which you can find on page 817. Matthew 12. We're going to read verses 38 through the end of that section. And then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered Jesus saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And the men of Nineveh will rise up at judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. May God write his word upon our hearts. So I just have three pretty straightforward thoughts that I want to share with you this morning. And the first thought is about our rebel heart, about our rebel heart. And so here's the backstory on Jonah. We read a little portion of it. Uh, God told Jonah to go to Nineveh and to preach a message of judgment, repentance, and grace, but Jonah had other plans. You see, Nineveh was the capital of the Assyrian Empire, and the Assyrians were mortal enemies of the Jews, folks like Jonah. The Assyrians were a violent people. They were an idolatrous people, and Jonah did not want to see them saved. He wanted to see them suffer. And so instead of going to Nineveh, Jonah hightailed it in the other direction and set sail for Tarshish. And in route, God brought about this great storm, and Jonah was cast overboard to become fish food. And, and the, the, uh, the ironic thing about the whole story is the one who was sent as a messenger to rebels was shown to be the greater rebel. And Jonah's story is our story. You know, many times we, we look at the wickedness of the world. We look at all that's wrong with this world. And, and we subtly, and sometimes not so subtly, but let's assume that it is more subtle, we, we look at the wickedness of the world and we create categories of us versus them. The thems are folks that aren't here this morning, they're just out having brunch. The, the thems are, are usually people that we believe that they're beyond the reach of God's grace. People whose sin seems worse than ours, or at least different than ours. But whenever we look at others and focus on their rebellion, God has this way of showing us our own rebel heart. Our rebellion may be very similar to Jonah's, or it may be quite different. Perhaps you've ignored or disobeyed God's call to go and engage people who are unlike you. And that's really at the heart of this story. God told Jonah, go to these people who are unlike you, and quite frankly, people that you don't like, and preach to them a message of judgment, repentance, and grace. Maybe, maybe God has, has put it upon us to go and engage with people that are unlike us and people that, quite frankly, we don't like. Or, or maybe it's, it's a different kind of rebellion entirely. Perhaps you've rebelled in the ways that you fulfill your role as a spouse or a parent. Instead of leading with love, you lead with the law. Instead of adopting the posture of a servant, you treat your spouse and children as your servants. 
Perhaps you've, you've rebelled in the ways that you approach money or possessions or social status. And when you, when you make money or the things that money can buy or the social status that money brings, when you make those the driving force in your life, what you do is you've turned good things into ultimate things and created an idol. And like Jonah, perhaps, perhaps you easily see the rebellion and the wickedness of others, but you fail to see your own wickedness and rebellion. There's a million possibilities. There's a million forms of rebellion, but the story of Jonah is meant to move us from looking at others with contempt to looking at our own heart with deep contemplation and seeing rebellion. So in the early 20th century, a little over 100 years ago, the Times of London uh, published an open letter, uh, and they asked their readers this question, what is wrong with the world? And the answers flooded in, and most of the answers were, were what you would expect. The problem is them, whoever them is. But one response was different. In, in response to the question, what is wrong with the world, G.K. Chesterton wrote in, Dear Sir, I am. Sincerely, G.K. Chesterton. You see, we must see and own our own rebel heart. It's not about looking at the Ninevites. It's not about looking at the folks um, who are different than us, whose sin seems worse than us. It's about looking at our own heart and seeing a heart that is bent towards rebellion and wickedness. And yet the story of Jonah doesn't end with him fleeing in rebellion. In the midst of his rebellion, God displays relentless grace. That's the second thought I want to share. So after being thrown overboard, God prepared, some translations say appointed, some say ordained, a great fish to swallow him up. And, and when I preached on this uh, four years ago, I believe, I made this point. That was not an act of punishment, it was an act of pursuit. What happens if Jonah goes into the sea and a fish doesn't swallow him up? He drowns. This is not an act of punishment, it's an act of pursuit, it's an act of grace. If this fish had not come along and swallowed Jonah up, that would have been the end of him. And through this crazy course of events, Jonah discovered that even in the midst of his rebellion, God never stops pursuing. That God is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He is relentless. Grace, I asked the kids this morning on the fireplace, I said, what is grace? It's God's favor. It's God giving us what we don't deserve. It's his indescribable, inexplicable, undeserved favor to rescue sinners like you and like me from eternal death. And God's grace was perfectly displayed in the gospel when Jesus pursued you in your rebellion. Jesus lived a sinless life in your place. He died a substitutionary death for you. He did for you what you could not and would not do for yourself. And, and that is the ultimate display of God's grace. And then on Resurrection Sunday, when the grave could not hold him. But to understand God's grace, we first have to come to terms with our desperate need. So I have some bad news for you. Like our man in All is Lost, or like Jonah here in the text, you may think that you can do life on your own terms. 
but you can't. And you'll discover that when life throws you a curveball, when God wrecks your plans. You, you cannot manage life. You cannot do everything that you long to do. And, and uh, I'm really going to be in trouble with the parents this morning because I gave their kids a ton of candy, but I'm really going to be in trouble when I say this. Kids, I'm sorry to tell you this. Your parents are wrong. You can't be anything you want to be or do anything you want to do. Do you know how many people are in Hollywood working at coffee shops because they just didn't make it? Do you know how many athletes are selling insurance because they just didn't have it? Nothing wrong with working at a coffee shop. Nothing wrong with selling insurance. But it's a reminder that we don't get to write the script. You don't get to write the script. You can't control life. Jonah thought that he was in control. God says, go this way, I'm going to go that way. And God wrecked his plans through relentless grace. And the story of all is lost. This sailor who's well-prepared. Couldn't have found a better protagonist, and yet the script changed. More often than not, and, I, and this is the bad news, more often than not, life turns out like, like Robert Redford's in the movie, curled up and crying. More often than not, life turns out like Jonah's, swallowed and waiting. That's the bad news. And, and, and the bad news and the weight that that brings is right where God wants us. He, he wants us to feel the weight of the bad news. Do you know why? It's been said that God's office is at the end of our rope. You want to know where you find God? At the end of your rope. God finds us in our failure. He finds us in the midst of our rebellion. And he announces to us good news. He's relentless. He'll use whatever it takes, even a storm and a fish, to get us to the point where we say, just like Jonah in chapter 2, verse 9, we didn't read it, but Jonah says, salvation belongs to the Lord. He gets us to that place where we acknowledge that we don't get to write the script, that salvation belongs to the Lord. And when we're at that point, that's when he comes in, swoops in, and gives us resurrection life. That's the third thought I want you to consider. So the story of Jonah doesn't end with him fleeing in rebellion, it, it, nor does it end with him being swallowed up by a fish. It continues with resurrection. It ends with, it ends with resurrection hope after three days. He's in the belly of the fish three days, and then he spit out. And that's where Jesus takes this story 800 years later and reveals his own resurrection purpose. Imagine if the story of Jonah ended with him being swallowed up by a fish. What kind of salvation is that? Imagine if the story of Jesus ended with him being crucified and laid in a tomb. What kind of story and salvation is that? And so Jesus took this resurrection story and he said, For just as Jonah was in uh, three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And then he makes this incredible and astounding statement, Behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Someone greater than Jonah is in your presence. Jesus, Jesus is the truer and greater Jonah. He didn't merely illustrate resurrection life, he accomplished resurrection life. 
And the good news of the gospel doesn't end with us merely being saved from eternal death. It ends with us having resurrection life. And so in the movie, uh, All is Lost, I told you, Redford tears a page from his journal. He takes one of his last remaining matches. He lights it to create a signal fire. The fire consumes his wrath. He falls into the water. He sinks beneath the surface. It's over. All is lost. But, it, but as he's sinking, and the cinematography is beautiful, as he's sinking, he looks up through the water and he sees the shadow of a boat. And then a hand reaches in to the water and pulls him up. And suddenly all is not lost. He's resurrected. He's rescued. And friends, that's the message of the gospel. It's a message of resurrection, salvation. It's a message of life being snatched from the jaws of death. And I want you to hear it clearly this morning that the message of salvation, the message of Easter, the message of this week, the message of the gospel is not I had this conversation with Dana recently. The message of the gospel is not that you are drowning and God throws you a life ring and says to take hold. Or that he says, there's a dock, swim to safety. The message of the gospel is, is just what we see in that movie. We are sinking and he reaches down and reaches in and pulls us out. It's actually more dramatic than that. Jesus finds us drowned at the bottom of the sea. And he dives in and he plums the depths and he pulls us out and then he breathes into us new life. He resurrects us. And too often, people turn the gospel of rescue and resurrection into the gospel of assistance. And that's why the movie All is Lost is such a beautiful picture of the gospel because Redford's character isn't assisted. He is rescued. He is resurrected. He's saved. You know, throwing a life preserver to a drowning sinner is like giving a cookbook to a starving person. When we, when we, when we present the gospel that way or think about the gospel that way, we've turned good news into good advice. The gospel is not good advice, it's good news. And the good news ends with Jesus rising from the dead and promising that all who believe in him will live for eternity. And that's the gospel message for you, friends, that Jesus rose from the grave so that when you die in this life, you will live for eternity with him. And so as God reveals to you your own rebel heart, whatever it is, However, you've created categories of us versus them, or, or my sin looks like this, but their sin looks like this, and God has that way of showing you, no, this is your own wickedness, this is your own rebellion. Don't run from him. Run to him. Know that even when you run away from him, he pursues you with relentless grace. And friends, that's what it is. It's grace, no matter what form it takes. When God wrecks your plans and crushes your idols, that is a grace. When you make plans and God thwarts your plans in his goodness and grace, it is a grace. When you find yourself in a burning raft or the belly of a smelly fish, that is God's pursuit. It's not his punishment. And when you come to the end of your rope, 
when all of your plans for self-salvation have failed, when all is lost, look to Jesus. Remember the resurrection. Because what was accomplished on this day tells us that all is not lost. Let's pray towards that end. Father, When the fullness of time had come, you sent forth your Son, who was born of woman, born under the law, to redeem us, wicked, rebellious people who were under the law. And you put your Spirit within us so that when we cry out now, we cry out, Abba, Father. And Lord, when the fullness of time had come, and not a moment before, Jesus went to the cross and the Romans were responsible, and the Jews were responsible, and we're responsible. But no one took Jesus' life from him. He laid it down willingly. He gave his life for us. He ran to us for people that run away from him. And then he rose. So that just when we think all is lost, victory is snatched from the jaws of defeat. And so, Lord, do that gospel work in us this morning. Show us our sin and give us faith and confidence again in our Savior. In whose name we pray. Amen. Would you all please stand?